0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Pulp movie on the uh, Pulp podcast here at Bald Move. This one is a commissioned podcast by Fan Joe in Philadelphia. Joe in Philly. Uh, He selected Spaceballs, the 1987 Star Wars parody, general science fiction parody. If you you got sci-fi and fantasy, he's making fun of it. Uh, Of course, this was written and directed by Mel Brooks, who is currently 97 years young. Legendary, and you're going to hear this word used a lot in the the cast and crew of this. Legendary actor, comedian, filmmaker, songwriter, and playwright with a career spanning over seven decades, and I've guaranteed no matter how old you are, you've laughed at some of his work. The producers, (laughs) Blazing Saddles, High Anxiety, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, and my personal favorite, Young Frankenstein. What's what's your personal favorite Brooks film, Jim? It's a real toss-up between Young Frankenstein and Robin Hood Men in Tights, uh, but that's because mm. Robin Hood Men in Tights was all over television when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he wrote this film alongside Ronnie Graham, who also appears as the space pope in this movie and a frequent writing collaborator Thomas Meehan, who assisted him with the producers, Young Frankenstein, as well as his own projects Hairspray, and Crybaby, the Johnny Depp vehicle. It stars Mel Brooks. He plays a dual role here as Yogurt and President Scroob, which I learned is an anagram for Brooks. That's amusing. Bill Pullman, who is America's greatest living president, inspiring the world with his heroic leadership during the 1996 alien invasion crisis as seen in Independence Day. He's also been in Lake Placid, Sleepless in Seattle. While you were sleeping, a lot of sleep-based movies. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a little bit of a sleepy face. I I I understand. He does. It. Yeah. He could have. He could. He could have been Prince Valium. Yes. Yes. Totally. Uh, John Candy, legendary. John Candy as Barf. We just uh, seen. Well, I I just saw him. I imagine a lot of America did in Home Alone a few weeks ago. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, another holiday classic. Stripes, Uncle Buck. Little Shop of Horrors died tragically at forty three. When I got to the Wikipedia article and I found out that he died in like I think ninety four, and I was like sixteen years old, and now I'm older than John Candy was when he died as a as a grown ass man. It it, it yeah. shook me, man. Yeah, it yeah, shook I me. Can see it, uh, Daphne Zuniga. Zuniga. Zuniga as uh, she she's uh, the princess in this movie she's also in the sure thing modern girls and fly Too. joan rivers another legendary actor and comedian frequent guest show or talk show guest and red carpet savage for years and years also rick moranis we just saw him in ghostbusters uh love him and honey i shrunk the kids personal favorite strange brew dick van patten he's the dad Nathan is enough uh, George Weiner, who I've seen in a lot of stuff. He's Colonel Sanders in this movie. He played Rabbi knockner in the Cohen brothers' film, A Serious Man. Michael Winslow, Man of a Thousand Voices. I've seen him in Police Academy, very commercial, various commercials. Dom DeLuise. I don't know how to describe the kids who Dom DeLuise is. He's just a funny <laughs> friend of yeah. Mel Brooks, Gene Wilder, and Burt Reynolds, basically. He amused those men, and and they put him in his movies. And then uh, a couple cameos. John Hurt reprising his role as Kane, literally from Alien. Mm -hmm. Steven Toboleski. Yeah. Young Steven Toboleski cruises into this movie, which you might know him as Ned Ryerson from Groundhog Day. And Mm -hmm. also something that blew my mind when I found this out today. Tim Russ. Yeah. Tuvok in Voyager. Is the dude combing a desert that says, We ain't finding shit out here. I can't remember the exact line. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. Wild. I went and I looked at that screenshot of him and I'm like, I guess I can see it, but he's under this massive helmet. It's hard to it's really super, tell. He's super, he's like, what, 15, 20 years away from. No, no, like, not. 10. He's like, like 10. Yeah. He's like 10 years away from Voyager, but he has an enormous ball on his head. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, There's no Joe guy would, in this you might recognize. That's somebody really who. Uh, He's one of the dinks. He's Tony Cox. You probably saw him in Bad Santa opposite Billy mm. Bob Thornton. Okay. Okay. I thought one of the, what did they call it? the dinks? Is that what their name? I, I guess. Yeah. That's what it was captioned as. Uh, Joe and Philly is our commissioner for this today. Let's read his thoughts before we get into uh, Spaceballs. Hi, Aaron and Jim. Thank you for taking on the commission. I've been a bald move fan and subscriber since as far back as a break in bad days and your work enhances my enjoyment in a lot of media. I've never exported that your coverage, so thanks. Spaceballs, what is there to say? I was born in 1981 and what is there to say? Thanks for listening to the podcast, everybody. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in God, 1981. I was hoping some... he would tell me there was something to say because <laughs> I've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think it took so long to read everybody that starred in this thing? Uh-huh. Uh, I was born in '81, and somehow my cousin Kevin and I came across this movie before we saw Star Wars. That must warp a young mind, and I'm proud to say I carried on the tradition with my sons in their formative years. Not a peanut butter and jelly sandwich comes together in this household without only one man would dare give me the raspberry gag, or when Dannon goes into the lunchbox yogurt. I hate yogurt. Uh, that can we can we talk about? The experience of watching Spaceballs before Star Wars, like I've had That's that experience. Wild, I've, I've seen, but okay, so many parody films without seeing the original stuff. You know, when I saw Airplane, okay. I'd never seen any of the disaster mm-hmm. airplane things. It, it, but it does seem wild as a Star Wars baby for someone to say they saw Spaceballs first. Yeah, I can't imagine that was not my experience. But I'm, I'm curious. Does he, does he say anything about like the actual experience of that? The not really. I, I do love okay. that he's carried on his pr- tradition of, of culturally <laughs> uh-huh. uh, mutilating his 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 children. Uh, <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. Uh, this movie is a frequent VCR rewatch for us at every family gathering and sleepover. As kids, we drove our parents crazy, parroting every one liner from the film, even going so far as to raid costume jewelry from our mothers so we could both wield the power of the Schwartz. Open your heart to this film and you'll find a zinger you can use every day of your life. The gags are nonstop and executed perfectly. Let's think about the cast here. Mel Brooks is glorious in two of his most absurd character roles of the spoof genre. Rick Moranis at the height of his comedy powers is an incompetent Vader knockoff. The doll scene, comedic gold. Apparently he improvised that on set. Just, just, here's some dolls, play with them, Rick. All right, yeah. John It Candy. felt like a kid it, improvising a, a play session. It did. It did. John Candy, Joan Rivers, Bill Pullman getting in licks against the Spaceballs before saving us all on Independence Day. Keep your eyes peeled for Police Academy's Michael Winslow at the top of his game, while Daphne Zuniga's star burned out too soon as Princess Vespa, her gusto for the role, helped keep the plot together. And perhaps she serves a spot on your badass honorable mention list for the Rambo bit, or deserves a spot. Since I know you and Jim are avid Star Wars fans, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about the flick. Well, I think it ranks up there with Airplane in the spoof genre, it's fantastic as standalone comedy, and its fourth-wall-breaking jokes about merchandising really twist the knife on the Star Wars commercialization that Disney has only made worse. The satire holds up today even without Spaceballs 2, the quest for more money. Why did spoof movies die off after Mel Brooks and Leslie Nielsen contributed so much to the civilization? All that said, Kevin and I both hope you enjoy the watch, and may the Schwartz be with you. May the Schwartz be with you always. Boy, um, I have a lot of fun, fond memories of this. This movie came out Mm -hmm. um, when I was just old and I still had a love of Star Wars as an 87, so I was 11 years old. Um, But all this silly, scatological, you know, Mel Brooks (laughs) humor is just pitched squarely down the plate of an adolescent, pre adolescent boy that loves Star Wars. Oh, yeah. And I've been. So let's let's stop there what what do you think of what and, and I, I still like yeah i'm a sucker for this movie um what do you think of Spaceballs? uh so obviously i did not mention it when we talked about our favorite mel brooks movies which is not to say that i don't like it um i think especially watching it now pff, it's got to be 20 years since i've seen this movie watching it as a 42 year old almost man uh i'm looking at this and i'm saying okay a lot of this still really works for me and some of it shouldn't because i am a juvenile i'm just a child when it comes one of the funniest things in this movie to me is when dark helmet gets pissed off or 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 people are worried that he's going to get pissed off they all reach for their balls to cover him Mm -hmm. because they know that the schwartz is coming and i yep (laughs) i think that's hilarious there are other jokes in this movie that I don't think work at all. I, I think are mm-hmm. just completely flat for me. Um, but those are few and far between. I think on the whole, this movie still works really well. Yeah, I've come around on some of Mel Brooks. So I started off. I love worship Mel Brooks. And I got in my 30s. I'm like, you know what? Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein kind of still hold up. But man, some of his modern stuff, where he just lost his fastball. ball, Like a critical evaluation of space balls and Robin Hood men in <laughs> tights revealed that uh-huh. there is, in fact, quite a bit of cringe before the wheels finally came off and Dracula dead and loving it. That movie just sucks. Oh, uh-huh. I don't think I've ever seen it. Uh, actually, maybe it's a meta joke. Uh, yeah. Maybe yeah. Mel Brooks made yeah. a vampire movie that sucks <laughs> just because he's that committed to the bit, you know, much like you are. Uh, when you're you're teaching your sons that the space the Star Wars is a spaceballs parody, uh-huh. really committing to the bit there. But then I got in my 40s and I've kind of mellowed into my dad role, and I've come back to like really love it. And when I was watching this movie, The Critical Eye, I came away of like Mel Brooks is really good at taking a bunch of weak gags that really shouldn't work and packaging them together in a way that pays off into a scene that everyone can enjoy it's like you know some of these zingers some of them you're gonna like some of them you're not gonna like some of them you're gonna gonna groan but they all set you up for like the big payoff and i've got a couple that i can um think about um the short stuff is a fairly good example of that or like the the jamming radar you know (laughs) like that's that's a pretty stupid gag Uh uh-huh but then it leads into the police academy guy and, uh, you know, his thing and the, the, the screen getting the, 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 it, it, it comes together in, in, in a way that I think is, is eventually gets around to being funny. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that's an art to like, take some of this, like, you know, and I was going to jive with all this material. Some of it's weaker, but you got a 90 minutes to film you got 90 minutes to fill of a movie to be 45 minutes without the jokes. So you can't take all, you can't take all the clunkers out, but what you can do is package them together with something that works. And and I just think he's really good at that. Like not everything is going to get you, but like it's going to make you laugh here and there. And more often than not, I think. And everyone just is like really likable. Nothing is mean spirited. Like, some humor that's aged badly doesn't work anymore, plus it's mean spirited and just kind of makes you yeah. feel gross. Yep. Where mostly Mel Brooks is pretty wholesome. Even when he's making dick jokes, he's making jokes, pretty sexist jokes. Uh you know, you'd even, you know, it's you could even go so far as saying some of the jokes are racist, but in 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 they never were intended in a bad spirit, in a vicious spirit, and I think that comes across that everyone's having fun. Yes. I saw an interview with uh, Princess uh, Vespa uh, Daphne mm-hmm. Zunye- Zuniga, where she said she absolutely said no to her agent when they're like want you to do Mel Brooks she's like oh that guy's crass and his humor is juvenile and she met with him and she's like yeah this Max Brooks guy is really uh, Mel or Mel Brooks rather <laughs> yeah yeah got my Brooks is screwed up mm-hmm. he's really funny he's really kind he's attentive he you know listens to you as an actor and she ended up being really impressed with the experience and I think I've never heard anyone say to Mel Brooks as an asshole no like a guy who's been around this fucking town for 97 years and not a single person's got a bad thing to say about him he's cool in everyone's school he's good in everyone's hood yeah. I mean no, that's a your version of Mr. Rogers at this point <laughs> sure yeah I, I'm I'm glad to see his reputation remains untarnished because I enjoy a lot of his movies. And I think the reason I enjoy his movies so much is that spirit Um, that there's clearly a vision here that Mel Brooks has. And every actor on stage is bringing their talents around to that vision. Nobody, nobody feels out of place. Nobody feels like they're acting in a different movie here. And even Daphne Zuniga, who was like, I don't think I can do this kind of broad, ridiculous thing well, she's not really asked to, you know. She's kind of the straight person in this mm-hmm. ridiculous farce, um, in a lot of ways, and has yeah. her moments too, for sure. But it's not as broad as somebody like John Candy, um, right? Or, or God Rick Moranis, who is about as as broad as that ship is long. Uh, <laughs> it, it, he, but he works perfectly in this movie because that vision is so crystal clear. Uh, what Mel Brooks wants to do in this movie and his style. His style is just on the screen here through everybody. And all it all just comes across as like, everybody's having a ton of fun. This whole thing is fun. I'm having fun watching it. There's there's nothing in here that makes me feel bad in any way. Even when a joke doesn't land, it's like on to the next one, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I guess uh, George Lucas, because you know, you have to kind of talk to the man before you going to parody his work. And uh, Mel Brooks shared with him an early treatment of the script. And I guess George Lucas liked it so much that he's like, oh, let's, he want, he the, I ILM got involved and did uh, a lot of special effects for this movie, uh, which I think is amazing. It's also, I think, the most expensive film that he's ever made, Brooks has ever made. It's four for million that reason. for post-production. I know that. And, and I hear yeah. the reason he, I, I hear the reason that ILM is involved is because he wanted to kind of make sure there would be no hassle making this movie and so he's like right. you know, what, know in, in what way it. could i make sure there's no hassle well why don't i pay the guys who might be offended by Star this Wars. right <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. and you don't want to just um, hand them money but if they do your post-production they have a they have an egg in that basket but supposedly george lucas saw an early screening of this film and has laughed his ass off and the only thing he asked in the the conception stage is like uh, you can do whatever you want but you just can't sell action figures because your action figures look at my action figures and I'll confuse you. Yeah. And, and and Max is like, I'm sorry, Mel's like, yeah, I didn't even dream of it. But that birthed all of the anti-consumerism merchandising <laughs> gags in the movie because he's like, as hey, Lucas guys obsessed with the merchandising. So I'll just like, have this hypothetical universe of all these crazy space balls, toys and lunch boxes. And the joke is none of it's available. And I'm just criticizing the whole thing. Uh, the directive video, uh, space like, like, like to search fast, for more money. Cause it's so funny. This is made in the eighties where like we talked about, it. it's like three to six months after a movie would come out before it would come out in VHS or beta. Right. Uh-huh. And now we're living in an era where, Sometimes things go literally from the movie theater to your home screen at the same time. Yep. Rarely more than 4 weeks do you have to last, but that joke about you can get the VHS as the movie's being made is I think it's a solid gag and it's a solid visual gag. Yes, I love that. I think it's really brilliant. Um especially, yeah, he couldn't have known but the way it's gone as far as the technology uh is great. And there's something really funny. He's got a way of like really getting to the heart of what's funny. Like Rick Moranis plays dark Helmet as a frustrated middle manager that's kind of insecure. Yeah, and which you... that is a fair description of Darth Vader. Sure. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, especially the the more we've known, and and I also I did not know this, but uh, I saw that the Darth Helmet's character is credited as panicking crybaby. <laughs> which I guess is it turns out that's his actual name. That Did you say that? that that's from that, that the was... animated TV series from 2008, which Mel Brooks, Yeah, I think he produced. Um, How did I not know that there Dark was an Ilman. animated series? Right? I had no idea. Spaceballs in 2008. Yeah. Yeah, just completely. I was, maybe my radar was jammed. I don't know. I was busy. Yeah, I was busy watching Iron Man and Batman Begins or Batman Dark Knight. Is that the one? Yeah, I think Dark Knight. Yeah, I don't know um, because that I can't believe my son has been like two or three years old. It'd be right up his alley. But yeah, panic panicking Skywalker. I, I, he's something about like he got something funny, like making Princess Leia this entitled, spoiled princess mm-hmm. rather than like a freedom fighter. And she's, you know, lugging her hair. They're just I don't know something. And a lot of it is a little bit basic boomer humor. But again, I, it never feels like mean spirited yeah. uh, or, or low blows. With that that merchandising stuff, I have I have questions around it because I, I don't know. Look, I don't know Mel Brooks. I'm not friends with Mel Brooks. I've never had a conversation with him. I've never done re- much research on the man uh, or seen really He's too any classy interviews. To out podcasters, really. I mean, yeah, probably. He draws uh, the line of Hollywood producers like that's the lowest yeah. of the low. Podcasters and. What do you think his opinions are on the merch stuff? Because I know this was like a non-merchandising agreement with Lucasfilm, mm-hmm. but he takes he takes a lot of shots at it. Is this something that he firmly believes like merchandising is not good? Because the thing that struck me about him doing research on his filmography, I don't think he's ever made a sequel, ever. And he was approached about Ooh. sequels for the Spaceballs stuff. Sure, he, yeah, never made a sequel. Shouted it out in the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now there is an animated series, so maybe that like erodes this argument a little bit. But him not doing sequels to his movies kind of makes me think he's a guy who might take a stand on, yeah, too much merchandising is bad. Maybe he did. He did make another of the producers, but I guess that's because oh, he? he adapted it to an actual stage play. And then he made a movie version on that. So is that a straight? But, oh, but you're weird. right. Okay. He he's he doesn't like yeah, he's on to the next thing kinda. Um I don't know, especially when merchandising is so relatively new. Like kind of it yeah. was I mean, there's always been like you could buy Lone Ranger pistols and whatnot, but like the the, the focus the, 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 on wall, the wall, the wall. Yeah, everything. Mm-hmm. The focus on it. The fact that that's the prime profitability uh, kind of started with Star Wars. And I bet an old Hollywood guy kind of sees that with a John Desai. I wonder how George Lucas, like would George Lucas rather have been paid to make Star Wars? Like, or would he, ra- you know, or it, it turns out that the merchandise made him rich and mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. billionaire. But like, I wonder as a creative, would he rather just done his fucking job? not have to worry about toys and licensing and marketing and just keep creating films. I don't know. I don't know either. Like Star Wars ended up consuming his life and he never got back to really making quote unquote serious films. Yeah. I don't know how much we want to talk about Lucas here, but it, it, yeah, it, he, yeah he, he, seemed to have had a goal that he pursued that I I think was, well, is manifestly, incredibly successful but it wasn't necessarily star wars right he felt like his goal was to change the face of the filmmaking industry and he did that mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. just up into the whole thing audio visual all of it mm-hmm. how movies are made is is largely a result of what george lucas did it at, at ilm yeah so I, I don't know that like saying star wars consumed his life is fair i, I feel like it's his goal of of changing the industry consumed his life and he succeeded at it that's true but do you think he ever just like was sad about not telling stories probably yeah i think i think creative would be right yeah and and the other thing is like uh you can't consider george lucas's career without also considering his impact that he had on like the godfather the impact he had on like you could almost like say that he's like co-directed uh the indiana joneses like it's mm-hmm. not that he didn't do anything else it's just he just didn't ever get on the chair until the the prequels but yeah we're, we're letting star wars consume this <laughs> review which i guess is fair i guess it's fair when we're talking about space balls yeah you don't want this podcast to just be wasn't it funny when so it might be a lot of that though because it, there's gonna to be some of, of like that. how much um but I've, I, um, I've been a fan of Mel Brooks from like the, fir- I, the first time I can remember being like seven years old sitting on the couch watching a TV edit version of Blazing Saddles on, on Sunday Night Cinema, wow. on one of the big networks. Huh. And getting to the campfire scene where they're all – they're, they're all eating beans and like it just starts like this just a like little fart and then there's, there's a crescendo of farting and the guy yeah. comes in. You guys you boys like, can we have some more beans, boss? No, I think you boys have had a – that shit is one of the early like me laughing so hard I almost pissed myself moments in my life. Nice. Uh, I remember when I was 13, I saw Young Frankenstein the first time and uh, when that monster belted <laughs> out putting on the Ritz, I almost pissed myself laughing. Um, yeah, I I just I don't know I got a, I got a I I got a special place in my heart and there again there was a time in like the early aughts where I was like you know what kind of fuck Mel Brooks especially his later stuff but I've gone hmm. back since and I watched Robin Hood Min and Tights I just rewatched Spaceballs I'm like yeah there I just wasn't you know uh, there's a gap I guess there's a gap between you being a teenager and being a dad and getting the dad and mom humor where it's like yeah, you know, yeah. you're too old for but you age back into it maybe. Uh, yeah, I could see that. I, I feel also like it's funny because it's mm-hmm. a truly funny film you can watch with children. Oh, yeah. Well, I want to talk about that. I do too. Okay, okay l- let's put a pin in it because I want to say, like, I think Mel Brooks, your first Brooks, like Star Trek, your first Brooks is your favorite Brooks, potentially. Um, and for it's me. Yeah. Like I saw Robin Hood Men in Tights, like I said, on television many times before I mm-hmm. knew who Mel Brooks was. Um and so that really shaded. It. Like what <laughs> Achu and Robin Hood getting into a fight and Robin Hood saying, Watch my back, and Achu saying, Your back just got punched three times <laughs> cracked mm-hmm. me up. I, I love mm-hmm. it. That kind of stuff. Uh it's not my feet, I just washed them. Uh, And then Patrick Stewart (laughs) showing up was kind of the cherry on top for me. When Patrick Stewart shows up in that movie, me being a Next Generation fan, I was all in. Sure. Uh, I didn't know Richard Lewis from, you know, A Hole in the Wall at that point. Still kind of don't. I don't know. He was not my favorite, not my time. But I don't know. That movie really, like, influenced a lot of what I thought was funny when I was young. And it was my first Mel Brooks, so it's still very high up there. Even though I think Young Frankenstein is kind of a masterpiece. Mostly because of Gene Wilder, but... Oh, my God. Gene Wilder is incredible in that movie.
1: And but it's Madeline Max Conn Brooks, you know, Terry Garr, behind the camera. Jesus
0: Christ. Terry Garr has got an iron grip on my teenage imagination in that movie. Huh. Um, yeah, and I, the other thing is like used to bother me is how mel would reuse gags you know it's like there's a lot of funny things um, in in this movie and robin Hood in tights and i think even in dead and loving it which maybe that's the other thing is like maybe i need to sit down and watch dead and loving it maybe that's brilliant um because when i saw dead and loving it i hadn't seen bram stoker's dracula i hadn't seen hardly any horror movies so it's just like i liked leslie nielsen and i'm like it's just a whole bunch of jokes that i don't get you know but i don't know i, I think that movie does kind of suck um but now it's like, yeah, it's like, no, that's a signature. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. Him, him referencing his own jokes in his films is like, is funny. Like, that's not, that's not dumb. That's not being, you know, like out of ideas. He's like, biting yourself is a long, noble tradition. That's like you start to, you know, it's, it's your style. It's your signature, right? Oh, he has a strong signature. And you forgive know, me if the B king. That's like that's like, you know, that's some Robin Diminitt tights. That's a that's a joke that pay, mm-hmm. plays off in History of the World volume 1. Uh, but it's fu- okay. It's it's funnier. It's really funny. So, yeah, I I don't know, like I said, I got some point in like my 30s where I was too cool for Mel Brooks and at 47 I want everyone to know I'm not too cool for Mel Brooks. Gotcha. yeah that's the thing he he has a strong style he he really leaned forgive me if this is not the most insightful commentary on mel brooks but he actually leans really far into the jewish thing uh he he owns it you know he's he's just like i'm gonna make fun of this thing as much as i possibly can and just have a good time with it um, were you surprised that he said in the interview that he was he was like when the movie first came out ashamed at how heavily he like like leaned into like kind of jewish stereotypes and jewish humor was he? Because I felt and like the the other interview said, stuff I've read, he it sounded like he leaned into that stuff on stage, just in conversation or on set with with actors and in conversations with them, right? Like, yeah, and I, I don't I don't think he has, but like it, it's it's weird because the the interview he said is like I was initially ashamed that I left that stuff in, but I think it's like a decade later, he's like when I look back on it, I'm actually proud of myself for leaving that stuff in. So it's like I'm not sure why he ever. Huh um yeah i wonder why he kind of held like this kind of like maybe it's like hey this is 1987 i don't know if it's funny to do this broad jewish co- just jo- you know like uh, oh jewish Ameri- Oh, that's all we need a J- jewish princess or <laughs> right, jewish? Right. she doesn't look jewish and just uh-huh. just like just stupid shit the fact that the sh- the, the thing is called the sh- schwartz you know yeah which why is it called the schwartz I, I I saw a lot of people asserting know. that Schwartz is a Yiddish slang for, I know it like literally means like black. Okay. And, um, but like I've heard it's a Yiddish slang for penis, but I could not find a single instance hmm. of that being asserted outside discussion of this film. Weird. No, it I don't just know. A funny. It's like, it's a, it's a funny kind of Yiddish word that rhymes with the force. Probably. Um, It could certainly be just that. And I'm fine with it. But it's obviously uh, whether it means dick or not. Like it's one elaborate dick joke. Like if you don't yeah. get it in the first scene by the end <laughs> of this movie, oh my god! I mean, when they literally hold their hands to their crotches and their a lightsabers ignite. Sequence looks yeah. like an unzipping. <laughs> right. <laughs> I see your oh, Schwartz my, is as big as my. I hate, I hate when, when my Schwartz gets all twisted. You know? <laughs> and like, yeah, of course you do. It's, it's uncomfortable if you're if you're a leaning to the left, man. If it gets over to the right, that's not cool. No. Definitely not. So, yeah, he speaking of leaning, he leans hard into that. Uh, I saw as I was firing up this film, it's rating. and It's PG. Mm -hmm. Parental guidance suggested for children of all ages. Uh, I was surprised with the amount of cursing. Number one. There's a lot of cursing in this. You could never show this movie unedited on television, at least in the 90s. Um, Oh, no. Probably still can't. Probably still can't. They say assholes in one scene 12 times. Maybe Uh, they use every word up and down the spectrum. Uh, I think there are two fucks in this. Yeah, I don't think this should be rated PG. Just for that alone, and then it's P- wait—is it PG or PG thirteen? The PG, interesting. And then we haven't even talked about the stuff that you're alluding to, which is the rampant sexual jokes in this film. Yeah, um, I mean blo- multiple so, blowjob jokes in this. Well, movie. so I want to I want to I start there because I, I have a clear memory of this when I oh, no. was this age, eleven oh, no. years old. I remember being mystified at what a blow job was. Well, they confuse it in this movie big time. Well, like, like, but, but it's like, it's like what blow job. I mean, I knew it in something involving sex, but I'm, and, but I'm like, is it like, you just like literally like, is that like the, would that, and I'm like, would that feel good? If someone's like blowing on, like, huh, I don't, I don't, I don't, huh, I wonder what that's like. And this movie, I remember the suck to blow mm-hmm. was like a light bulb. I'm uh, like, ah, as because like as a child, I remember being bewildered. That that a light of, bulb like, for you? That would have just yeah, confused I, the hell out of me. Suck to blow, wait, sucking and blowing? I'm so well, confused. Well, I think my cousin, my 13 year old cousin, might have like also helped me put it together. But I remember this uh-huh. movie was the catalyst of me understanding what a blowjob meant. Um, Gotcha. I remember like a uh, member because I would like I would, um, you know, my parents, I <laughs> sometimes like, you know, you hear things like a dildo. Was like, what the fuck is a dildo? It's a funny insult. It's That's like a laugh. So people call it. And I would always like I remember one memorable instance where I was playing with my Legos in the back of the living room. My mom and dad were watching Miami Vice. One of the characters told called his sister a stupid, fu- a stupid whore. Oh, And like a week later, and I filed that away. as like, oh, that's an insult you can say to your sister to <laughs> really piss her off. Oh, no. And my sister and I got in a fight like a week later, and I called her a stupid whore, <laughs> and I heard my dad fly over from his recliner. <laughs> what did you just call her? A stupid whore? <laughs> Whap! Like, don't you ever call your sister that! And I'm like, okay. Now wow. I need to know what a whore is, because holy shit, yeah, this is a nuclear warhead of an insult that I've just uncovered. Um... But yeah, this movie is how I'm It's unle- so like, is it? I mean, yeah, it uh, it it robbed me of some of my eleven year old innocence, I guess. But it's also, I I mean, my thing is like, if this a PG thirteen, I'd not a problem with it because yeah, like thirteen year olds, right. mm-hmm. like I I uh, cover your ears if your parent that is uh under the the impression that anything up. Kids from like ten, eight, nine, ten up swear when they're with their peers and they're away from adults. Sure. So. But, yeah, it's a little, but I don't know. Like, I, I, like when I was a kid, did I... Because I did something. I grew up with a dad that swore all the time. So, like, I, this is another stuff I heard for the first time. Um, yeah, I was kind of shocked in retrospect that my mom had a few blind spots where her Jehovah's Witness policies didn't apply. Uh, James Bond never saw a problem with James Bond Entertainment. And Mel Brooks, mm-hmm. even though Mel Brooks works hmm. blue and is very sexy, very sexual. Mm-hmm. Um and a, just a meat and potatoes man and woman even a lot of gay stuff that I was way over my head at the time but like it was all mm-hmm. there kind of surprised that she was cool with me watching Mel Brooks yeah but there you go i don't know maybe it's cuz there is no there's basically no violence in this movie and the violence that is there is so cartoonish so yeah you know so uh sterilized that it's not really much in the way of violence so they can get by on that there's like a little bit of sexuality a lot of cursing yeah.
1: no it's violence like
0: naughty it's like there's so like there's a you know yeah. like Monty Python is naughty Benny Hill is naughty Mel Brooks mm-hmm. is naughty like you know you get into like um, things like Bad Santa Kingpin those are oh yeah, those like are... vulgar those are yeah. obscene those are indecent um, and I think you can get away with naughty yeah it, seemed, it even, seems you even, can. <laughs> yeah, even in the, like, President Scrooge is a naughty guy. He's, like, chasing skirts and tails having and, you know, yeah. having threesomes. But, like, the movie itself kind of disapproves of him, you know? sure. He's the bad guy. I think that's the key for being naughty, you know? Okay. Yeah, I was surprised to see it was PG after I watched the movie, but it's, yeah, it's Look, I don't object to it. There's nothing in this movie that makes me cover my mouth and go, oh, it's just as a kid growing up in that environment, especially that religious environment, there's no way this should have been shown to me before I was 13. One thing I saw that George Lucas said about this movie, he's like, Mel, if you took the Star Wars out of this, you'd have a pretty solid adventure film. And I think uh, that's one of the other keys yeah. that, like, that, like, I think that Mel Brooks has been more successful than other. Cause I just, you know, like, it's not just the, the, was it the, was it the Zemeckis, uh, Zucker brothers? Is that the ones that did like airplane? Um, that sounds or that right. Zemeckis? I can't remember. And then you've got like, I forget who we did the Epic movies and the scary movies. Um, one thing I think that most of Mel Brooks's movies succeed better than most parodies is they do have a coherent narrative. Mm -hmm. You know, other. Yeah, they are, broadly speaking, making fun of the genres that they're making fun of. But like this is a pretty easy story of princess being forced to marry someone against her will, uh, an evil empire that's wanting to uh, capture her to put political pressure on her old man so they can get a military secret, Uh, a loner, you know, like a Han Solo figure with his best friend uh, falls in love with this princess can't be with her because he's not a prince, but turns out he actually, I mean, this is all pretty meat and potatoes yeah, kind of storytelling. straights, which makes him take the job in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. It all holds together. You look at blazing saddles. Like that's a cohesive narrative. Um, you know, the pe- people go on journeys, uh, young Frankenstein, there's character arcs and stuff. And I think that's something I really admire that. It's not, it isn't just like Monty Python is an insane film. It's not even really finished. <laughs> the Holy grail. It's just, yeah, yeah, great. I didn't name any of them, Like <laughs> sure, they're just like. Sure. But, but money, the Holy Grail in particular is a nonsense film that doesn't really work as a standalone narrative. It doesn't have an ending uh, because it's an absurd farce. Yeah, the Mel Brooks. Yeah, they 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 do kind of, kind of come together. Yeah, no, I I agree. I enjoy the experience of watching this movie not just for the jokes, but yeah, I think it's got some heart. I think we should save at the end of this podcast a good healthy dose of wasn't a funny win. But I thought okay. it might be interesting before we get to that point. And maybe we're far away from it. You might have a bunch of other stuff to say. But like, mm. are there were any things that stick out in your mind of things that don't work? Uh, Yes. From like a humor or like a culture standard? I really do not think that this... Uh... Who's on first stuff at the end of the the sequence with the the movie oh, no. coming out before it's finished made finished being made? Uh-huh. I don't think this who's on first type stuff works at all. I really don't like it. <laughs> well, it worked. I I specifically put out in my uh, notes to praise it that like I thought the verbal wins really now, wow. then well wins then it's right now and I, I maybe I, it goes I, too I, far maybe I it like lasts too good... long. Cause that's kind of the note they go out on in that scene. And I don't know where else you take the gag of then being now, but like, yeah, some, it just didn't work for me. Hmm. I thought it did like, especially the visual gag of them looking back and forth and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and then there's definitely some comedy torture, like the uh Spaceball one sequence in the beginning. Yeah. Where that's brilliant. It's like, I love that. It's, it, it's like, it, that doesn't work if it's 30 seconds long. It doesn't work if it's 60 seconds long. Mm -hmm. It only works when it's 90 seconds long like it is in this film. Because there's a couple. And like when I first started watching, I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is going on forever. Like, Uh I was about like, I don't know. This is. And then it's like, oh, this is going on forever. Holy shit. This is just going on forever. Every time a chunk of the ship that you think could be the lead into the engines appears, it just goes into another chunk of the ship. That's the other thing is the the the, the construction of Spaceball One and, and this the Mega Maid is such that there are these like cut ins that it looks like, yes, yeah. this is oh, this is surely the end of the ship. But nope, this, it's a launch of an even bigger section that um, I'm so impressed by that scene for many reasons. I think it's very funny how long mm-hmm. it goes on. uh and, and I mean, that was kind of the point of the original Star Wars shot when the Death Star or yeah. sorry, when the Star Destroyer comes in, you're looking at that going, my God, this is a massive ship next to a ship that I already know is pretty damn big, the Tantive 4. So like for him to, you know, parody that in such a good way. And then just the idea that ILM and maybe some of the people directly who worked on Star Wars were working on this movie, making those types of things. Uh, And this model is like a 17 foot long real model that they made. And and it's covered in Greeblies to a to a point where like, I I mean, Star Wars is famous for the Greeblies, right? Like all the explain the concept of Greeblies for people that don't watch Adam Savage. Right, right. It's like irregular shapes, like just kind of glued onto the surface of a regularly shaped object to kind of break up the monotony. Um, yeah so it's, it makes it look real like you don't know what the yeah. fuck that is but it's like oh that's a, gotta be a power generator or a gun emplacement or a, yeah. a, a, a airlock or something but it's it's just some piece of a battleship kit that they glued on yep. that looks cool just points yeah, of interest on top of a rather boring surface um, like they that make boxes it all look of greeblies that, like you have trays of ILM of just like random shit for models that you can just glue on panel lines and stuff all greeblies yeah and this is greebly to hell and back I mean this is like It's a love letter to practical model technicians, right? (laughs) A a farcical love letter, but yes, absolutely a love letter. Can I ask you this? Is this the actual model for Spaceballs one? Because it occurred to me, and I didn't have time to, because I read a bunch of the lore about making this movie and all that stuff, but like I didn't, did they specially construct this for the joke or is this actually Spaceball one? Because I kind of like when I see it later in the movie as Mega made, and you see it's like, it's not that big. Like, is it's like, you know what I'm saying? Did they make a specially like stretched version for the joke or is this this the thing that shows up the entire movie? Uh, that I don't know. I don't know. I think it's super funny either way, but Mm. it's just such a fucking big shit, man. If you're going to build this giant model, I don't know why you wouldn't use it everywhere you could it would look absurd it's like it looks like you know it's like it works for the joke but if you see it flying around it's like well especially as mega made it's like too it's longer than it is wide and yeah i don't know how they did the transforming of the mega made stuff but i can guarantee it wasn't the same model yeah yeah for sure for sure when they're doing the transforming stuff um so you didn't like the who's on the one part no uh there, there's surprisingly few that i thought didn't work but like honestly the space balls musical number uh when they're doing the abandoned ship that Ah, dates this movie poorly like it's clearly something they're trying to do as a ghostbusters kind of thing and for the soundtrack but like it doesn't fit the tone of the movie it doesn't fit the style of the movie uh it's not lyrically creative and i I, i think the whole abandoned ship sequence it's like Mel Brooks didn't have enough imagination. Like the best the weirdest things he can come up with is a bearded lady and a bear. Uh that whole sequence to me is not cringe in a bad way, but cringe and kind of like, oof, this this dates the film. Yeah, I could see that. I don't I don't um, have a problem with that one. Do you have another one? Because I, I have one one more. Uh, I wrote down a lot of examples of things I like, not so many of okay that didn't let's work let's for me, let's, so let's no. get through the one that, the one um and this is i think a belong standing beef between you and me because i think it's come up a few times pizza the hut is repulsive i can't look at him without wanting to vomit uh, which is exactly what he should be i guess but it's just a lot man and i can see the dude behind the costume uh-huh, uh-huh. like it's just not well, he's I, half I feel man, like half there's pizza. an pizza un... and if you couldn't see the dude he'd be <laughs> right. all pizza and I do, I do like the time when Barf was like, uh, robots and all humans, you know, like he's like, because he's a half man, half, yeah, he's a half man, half pizza. But it's like there's some kind of uncanny <laughs> valley where they pulled it off good enough to be repulsive, but not good enough to actually look good. It looks like a piece of shit makeup prosthetics job. It apparently burnt, physically burnt the guy who portrayed <laughs> him so bad that he refused to come back for reshoots. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you make me want to throw up and you injure a real human being, that's bad, Mel. You shouldn't you should have done better. You should have done five percent better or five percent worse, because right where you're at, it's no good. No good to anybody. I think it's brilliant. I, I think this whole sequence, the introduction for uh Lone Star and Barf and their predicament is brilliant. It's gold. Like the it is such an inspired choice there are many inspired choices on the design of these ships, but to make the RV ship, the Eagle five to make that an RV. I I don't know why it's inspired, but it feels inspired to me. It's like perfect. Yeah. It's the ultimate reduction of a millennium Falcon. Cause that in star Wars and the the millennium Falcon is that thing, right? That, that nomad. Yeah. mm Yeah. Yeah, it's the perfect yeah. embodiment of the character Han Solo. It's the fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy. In Star Wars, that looks like a Millennium Falcon, but in art, like that literal translation is like a Winnebago or like a run-down Popeye tugboat or something like that. It's we only think yep. of Millennium Falcon as cool because it's Han Solo's ship, but totally. <laughs> and the same is true here, right? If this wasn't Lone Star's ship, the- did you know the Millennium Falcon is the, the ILM shoehorned it into the uh, the diner scene? Like when it shows the Eagle oh. five landing in the parking lot that the Millennium is Falcon there? is like three is like three landing pads down. Nice. I didn't know out that. There. Yeah, I love it. Uh, is that is that sequence? Speaking of that diner thing, is that supposed to be a hitchhiker's guide homage?
1: It felt like it to me.
0: Uh, the, Just that like the 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 gas station in the middle of the galaxy kind of thing um oh like restaurant at the end of the universe kind yeah, of yeah 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 maybe i didn't i didn't get it but it could be i don't know i haven't read a ton of douglas adams so couldn't tell you do you want to exchange wasn't it funny wins uh yeah yeah we could do that I'll, i have other stuff to talk about but oh well if i don't want to rush you but um I'm, i think i'm i'm kind of spent did you read Roger Ebert's interview on this, or not interview I, review? Sorry, I thought he gave it two and a half stars, and I didn't. No. Oh, did, did that put you off? You were like, I don't want to know Kinda, why. Kinda. Yeah, it's like ah, uh, I yeah, I can because also this thing's like fifty percent of Rotten Tomatoes. This movie was not universally loved when it came out. Is universally yeah, like you loved said, by it's... probably eleven year old boys and probably oh, yeah. a lot of girls, but because I know my my uh, my cousin Nikki was ate up at this film too. But sure. Um, I, I don't, I mean, two and a half stars is a positive review, barely, but a positive review on Ebert's site. It gets a thumbs up, right? Um, it, and I don't have a lot of problem with his assessment of this movie because I did read the, the review. The one thing that is struck out to me or stuck out to me that he said that is interesting in a modern context is says, the strangest thing about Spaceballs is that it should have been made several years ago before our appetite for Star Wars satires had been completely exhausted. Right? Ooh. I, I feel like... This movie came out three years after Return of the Jedi. How much faster... Right. Did Mel Brooks have to get to the fucking plate, man? And, and what other satires of Star Wars were out there? I mean, Hardware Wars was like the only thing that was contemporary with Star Wars that I know of but and that was like a guerrilla low budget yeah it's a short film you know like fan spoof mm-hmm. using maybe there were a ships. lot maybe there were like maybe it was in popular culture that like it just satirizing it, referencing it or something I, I don't know because I was I was kind of scratching my head about that review too it's like like Ebert's like are we done with Star Wars and it's also like it's endless sequels when that's the other thing that that's I think age well in this movie his reviews that like star Wars was done and like yeah. moribund and will be for 20 years starting like from this point, essentially. Well, 15. Well, anyway. well and, and it will have this revival. It was clear to me that star Wars now looking back was not done. People had a huge appetite for star Wars. Right. Just that Lucas was done with it for the time. Right. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the fervor around phantom menace, when that was being developed, mm-hmm. uh, when, when that was being shot, and promised people were rabid about that. The fandom was craving more star Wars. There wasn't, there wasn't an oversaturation of star Wars people weren't done with it. And now coming around to the the Disney era of this, Uh, I feel like his words have become true again, right? Like there was this rabid appetite for it. And then you gave us too much and you created the exhaustion that you were describing there. Yeah, and I but I, I do think that there was definitely a dry period of Star Wars, like from like nineteen eighty eight to It was dry, yes. But the re release that... of the originals, like you had mm-hmm. to get by on a video game every once in a while. Like For sure. Timothy Zahn When did Zahn come out in ninety two? I guess that's the what I would say is the start of the modern era of Star Wars fandom, mm-hmm. is heir to the Empire. Uh maybe that's like in the late eighties. When did that come out? Uh ninety one. Yeah, May ninety one. So there was like a good five years there where like, yeah, Star Wars is kind of like dead, like cold in the ground. Well, Um, it was it was I don't think so. I think the love for Star Wars never went away and there was a huge appetite for it. It's just the the supply dried up. The demand never dried up. The supply did. And you never see that now. Like, now it's like we're so, no, we, we frack, no. we talk about, we frack fandoms. Like, oh, you're, you know, we, we try to hydraulically insert shit into the fans' hearts even after they're done with it. That's the thing, but- that that supply, uh, that lack of supply was the thing keeping the fandom alive. That's the crazy mm. part of it. If they had super saturated it like Disney did, you can you just kill this, kill this, this fucking more, thing, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I don't know, it was interesting to me how Roger's comments... Sort of were not true at the time, I don't think, but then became true in the fullness of history. <laughs> Prophetic. If only he will. knew. He didn't even. He did not live to see the he Disney era live of to Star see, Wars. He did live to see the prequels, which he enjoyed. Yeah, um, yeah, but but yeah, yeah, I, yeah. He, I, oof, I wonder. I would love to know what Roger would have thought about the entire run of superheroes, because I know he he's pretty positive about the Batman and the Iron Man and but like I Hmm. imagine he would be a little bit closer to his buddy, Martin Scorsese about decrying how it's taken over a pop culture. Yeah. Uh, One thing I learned in the investigation I did of this film, actually what I did is I I watched the making of, which was made contemporarily with the making of this movie. They did a bunch of interviews with all the actors and Mel Brooks and, a bunch of the production crew. Uh, Apparently Spaceballs, I want to say it was the last movie to shoot on MGM Soundstage 39 where they shot uh, Wizard of Oz. And a lot of the scenes that they shot uh, in that stage were the yogurt scenes, which is very very much an homage to Wizard of Oz, right? Like you get this gigantic statue when they first walk in of yogurt Ah. and then yogurt kind of steps out from the statue and he's a very small man right yeah uh i thought that was an interesting little tidbit and they were getting sort of misty eyed over the fact that like we might be the last movie to shoot on this sound stage yeah if you're a filmmaker that must be oh yeah like playing a baseball game on the field of dreams mm-hmm. you know uh diamond right and the fact that it's going away it's about to be bulldozed or whatever yep. yeah yeah it's gonna be destroyed Uh, I I saw that I I did not know is like that was like the end of that era wow yeah for sure um and a couple of things uh, questions about the story because we haven't talked too much about the story in in specifics uh so the whole thing kind of wraps up where Princess Vespa is dropped off with her father to marry this stupid Prince Valium guy who she doesn't Mm -hmm. love and Lone Star you know feeling guilty about taking money for a job where he fell in love with the the hostage uh, decides not to take the million space bucks he's going to take 268 dollars or what bucks or whatever for gas and lunch and tolls i he's a fool he's an absolute dumbass right yes i was the, actually shocked when i was watching the movie and saw that like oh wait he doesn't take the space bucks it says nothing about the scruples of this character or how he feels about Princess Vespa. It says that he's dumb. This is a family that is filthy rich. Mm-hmm. A million space bucks to them is like you buying a hamburger. Yeah, take that money and change your planet. life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's insane did Uh, barf had any say or is this another chewbacca situation where han solo and him do the same amount of work and he gets the medal and Chewie doesn't (laughs) totally okay yeah that scene where barf's like you're always right you know you were right and you know what you're always right and oh here's Mm -hmm. this problem and bill pullman says no here's a solution he says you're right (laughs) just goes along with whatever it'd be a funny joke if uh 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 the princess vespa asked her dad whether he took the money he's like just half of it and it was just the, the mog you know like, like uh, yeah yeah lone star can do whatever but mog's getting paid you know mm. barf is getting paid oh man barf barf that is a <laughs> solid ass gag man <laughs> okay That he has a full, like that's just his nickname Uh (laughs) for his full name. We're we're not quite to the wasn't a funny one, but yes, I agree. I I want to bust out. Okay. My other big question about the end of this movie, because they get word, you know, they crack up with a fortune cookie and it turns out that it is yogurt telling them, uh, hey, I actually stuffed some liquid Schwartz into into your glove compartment. Put that in the ship, and you can race back in time to win this princess's heart because you are actually a prince, and that's what this medallion around your neck has been saying the whole time. They show up at the wedding and they are dressed like princes. Where did they get these clothes? Did they have these clothes stashed in the RV? Did they stop for this. off? Did they stop off when they're racing to the altar? I have a clear answer for this. Please enlighten me. He got these from wardrobe. <laughs> the wardrobe department came in and I mean, gave him clothes. Because you're yeah. right. You are right. Where he did. He turned out the money. He's got uh-huh. no money for fancy clothes. Can't buy them. Doesn't have the time to stop at a tailor and get Doesn't a Doesn't have the time because he's got suit. a rate. Yeah. Yeah. So like unless like when he went through customs, he's like, Hey, this is a Prince medallion. Like, Oh my God, they get you, get you into Prince clothes. I, I don't know. I, I thought it was <laughs> so fucking funny that he shows up because I forgot that in my mind, he shows up looking, which did you know that's, that he's, he, I think that's the other thing is like here the George Lucas asked him not to make the lone star look too much like Han Solo. So the joke is that he makes him look exactly like Indiana Jones. OK, perfect. But I almost had a Berenstain Mandala effect thing where he showed up in that prince costume and it jarred me because I had full memory of him marrying the princess just as a scruffy looking nerf order. Or sure, sure. Yeah, the, him having the the full Yeah, but I, mean, I have that's a why I know there must be a deleted scene <laughs> that shows him hitting up the oh, you're a prince now. You got full store credit store because yeah, yeah, that was wild. I like that Barf is all done up, too. He, he didn't just, you know, splurge and spend the time to get his own suit made, right. but Barf's hair is all done up. He's got a mm-hmm, suit. It's mm-hmm. love it. He's been groomed. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, so that's all I've got as far as interesting, important things to say. Let's talk about wasn't it funny when? All right, let's go. Let's go joke for joke. I love... We talked about uh, Darth Helmet as an insecure middle manager. I love the fact that Darth Helmut has a tie. I never noticed this. I'm, I'm glad you're. I don't think I did either. But it's Uh like he's got this vaguely kind of country western cut of a suit on underneath his helmet and cape, and including a fucking tie. It's so funny that Darth Vader has a tie. Uh, also, it completes the dick and balls joke because what is flanking either side of the the base of that tie? Gi- the, what what are supposed to be like like pauldrons or I forget what the 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 roundels? Yeah. But they're clearly uh-huh. yes, it's a giant penis. Yeah,
1: cock which and it, balls.
0: Which I read that his costume in the first place was supposed to be just one giant helmet, well, head to toe. Right. Just, just it couldn't like make two it feet underneath a giant helmet, and it just didn't read right. And but like. I've never... Also, I didn't appreciate this until I watched as a 47-year-old. His helmet and Darth Vader's helmet, and dude, do look like the glands of a penis. Yeah. Like, it's nakedly dickhead looking. Absolutely. And they just lean... Like, when that... I actually think it's funnier that the helmet is huge, but it, like, completely meets his shoulders because he looks like a giant black Doc Johnson dildo. Yeah. (laughs) It's true. I bet somewhere you can buy... Like a Darth, a Darth, a, a dark helmet butt plug or something, because he's the perfect shape. You just get a base, just yeah. screw on a base to his feet, and you're you're done. You're done. Which is hilarious, given the sentiment of merchandising in this movie. Uh oh, I, I want to talk about two more things that don't work. I I forgot about these. I don't think Uh-oh. Prince Valium is a funny joke at all. He's the, just yawns. Valiums are kind of like it's also kind of like that was the heyday of them. So yeah, yeah, maybe you had to be there kind of thing um I can't believe you're putting yuck in her yum we, I, we, we I, tried, to, I'm we tried to segregate these sections now. I mean there's a lot of yum coming <laughs> up so so I, I also don't think like the perry air stuff is very funny and, and I'm I it, it's, it's alright but I'm mostly leaning into this to talk about this king uh Is it, like, Ronald or something? I I forget his name. I think so. Can can I talk about the Perrier? Because, like, to me, Mm -hmm. this was the start of, like... Because now everybody drinks bottled water to our fucking environmental detriment. But... Back in this, like, there was this time where this was seen as this unbelievable stupid thing. Why the it fuck is. would you pay for bottled water yeah. or canned sparkling water? It's stuff you can just get at the tap. So this, like, air is, like, the next level. Plus there's the pollution thing in the night. So, like, this is kind of, yeah, like, yeah. I, I think it, 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 wor- I, it, it probably worked better in the 80s than it does now. And I think it works as, like, a, a plot kind of thing because you know Church they're trying to steal, steal the air the and, and, I, and I, I like that uh, Scrooge is sucking down this Perry air on his mm-hmm. planet and and promising oh yeah there's no air problem at all well, and then he cracks denying, up on the yeah. uh-huh, uh-huh. uh, and, and if you look at that scene you can see that the Perry air is actually a product of Druidia and then that and maybe this is the reason I don't like this gag because the king of Druidia doesn't have a supply of this that he can start snorting as soon as his air is removed why would why would the king not be able to get a hold mm. of canned air that is produced on his own planet same reason people in Denver don't drink Coors Light I mean why would they There's like you know you can't you, you, people in Denver don't drink Coors Light no I'm just saying that that's like you know that that's like <laughs> okay. it comes from the the Rocky Mountains it's the cold Rocky uh-huh. Mountains and they just yeah yeah. yeah yeah you're right you're right you'd think you'd think you would think. think and so he passes out because he doesn't have the Perry air and then here's what gets me wondering like if this happened to me if I passed out knowing oh, wow, and, and my, this. my final thought was I'm dying there's no air uh-huh. they're sucking the air off my planet yeah this is it This is how I go out. And then I miraculously wake up and there's air. I'm like, sniffing around. What? I can breathe? Do do you just assume you're dead there? (laughs) You just assume you've died? Yeah. Probably. You at least figure out a way to maybe verify to yourself, to any satisfactory degree, that you're not dead. Before you just proclaim, oh, it's a miracle. If I was the Druish king... And I went through that. I think you're right. I would have put some critical thought into <laughs> maybe his brain, my is situation, too oxygen deprived <laughs> to think about it. But yeah, that was my first thought. Uh, is it my turn to do the, I guess I feel one? like you took two turns of bullshit, but yeah, yeah. Give us a funny one now. Funny man. Uh, I love dark helmets, safari helmet. Speaking of dark helmet. <laughs> yeah 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 just the door that he has in it and when he shuts the door the eye holes and just the fact that he would have a separate helmet made kind for of safaris funny because like in star wars they have like snow troopers and even uh-huh. sand troopers and scout troopers and this like none of the space balls get it but dark Helmet's got he's got a he's got a desert safari but yeah, I, yeah i do love it and it's probably stuff. so he's got a different action figure to sell right well, they can't sell action figures, but, but yeah, uh, yogurt can. Um, I want to talk of the, so I like some of the verbal wordplay of dark helmet. For example, you went over my helmet. Mm-hmm. I, that line always cracks me up. And shortly the pairing that the, um, how many assholes we got on this ship anyway. Oh, sequence. Oh my God. It's the best. Major sequence asshole. In the movie, I think. Yeah, it's having, and then they all yo, like all but like one or two of them stand up. <laughs> He's that an asshole, gets a sir. lot. Yeah. That gets a lot of quotes. I knew it. I surrounded by assholes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Uh but it's also a lot of assholes for a PG movie. Uh, True. Unwashed. Every one of them. Let's talk about Michael Winslow. I love Michael Winslow. I think he is the best at what he does. Hands down. He's incredible. I don't understand the niche. I don't like, I just don't get it. I'm entertained by it. How do you make a career yeah. out of this? Cause the man seems to have done it. I think you have to have like a one in a billion talent because that's the thing about the, this Michael Winslow guy is you point a camera and like, it's wouldn't be interesting for an hour, but for mm-hmm. five minutes, whatever he's doing, I'm like, cause like, it's kind of like, I mean, some of the mouth effects are like, you know, whatever. But like some of it is just like, how is he doing that with the human mouth? You know what this is? It's the exact inverse of a mime. That's the appeal. The appeal of the mime is that, I mean, that's extremely niche as well, right? And and most people don't particularly enjoy mimes in any reasonable dose. But if you're sitting in a park and a mime comes up and does a funny thing in front of you and then walks away. That's a good mime experience. I feel like that's the same for Winslow. He he comes on the scene for five minutes or less, Mm -hmm. does what he does exceptionally well. And then he's gone. And you think that was like this. That was nice. Things like this in Police Academy are kind of made for him. Yeah. Like, you know, like he's he's going to he's going to provide a solid five minutes. He's going to bring a lot of stuff to the table. He's not going to take anything from it. But he also can't cook you the meal. And you know that he made a Foley Guy's job way easier that day, right? Foley guy looks up the scene, he says, Oh, th- this is the scene I'm doing? I'm made, man. I got I it. I think I Brooks joked in an interview that he paid for himself because he did his own special effects. So like they saved his salary and right? like sound sound design. <laughs> totally. Um I am obsessed with the fact that the space balls have ass armor. Yeah I love the fact <laughs> that they have two independently. <laughs> independently model, molded dura steel Plasteel butt plates. Because the thing is, I always think it's weird that the Stormtroopers don't. Like, their entire yeah. ass hangs out in the breeze, uncovered. Mm-hmm. But, but Mel Brooks gives them ass cheeks to show how... This is why. Because ILM's like, there's no way to armor these guys' asses that doesn't make it seem like it's some kind of weird fetish gear. But I do <laughs> love that they're just tromping <laughs> along with these little... little little little, little, the eggs eggs glued to their ass it's so funny i'm with you and the thing that really gets me because of that design is when uh vespa grabs the gun and she goes full uh, ripley or whatever from alien yeah uh, yeah, yeah. or, or arnold schwarzenegger from predator she's pretty good for rambo yeah that was a pretty damn good rambo um when she does that she's shooting these guys And the final one that she shoots does like this front flip away from her and she shoots him right between those right up the asshole. (laughs) It's glorious. (laughs) And it wouldn't work nearly as well without that costume design. Um, Uh, One of my favorite gags in this because of how good John Candy is just across the board. He really sells this is that foot smash where yogurt it's Lone Star lifts the yogurt statue and it drops on Barf's foot. Yeah, yeah. And then when he when yogurt helps him and pulls it off, his foot is now this giant cartoon flat pancake. I yeah. really like that. I like uh, there's so many one-liners um, because this is something me and my sister still quote to this day. We're trying to egg each other on. What's the matter, Colonel Sanders? chicken <laughs> Jesus. that's like that's a joke that introduces itself The first second you hear this guy's name is colonel sanders uh-huh. and the fact that they just go i i, I that is they, they let it linger that's Such though. a funny line because you could delivery uh-huh yeah rick Moranis is great there but but i, I appreciate how long they hold that joke back mm-hmm, and it's the only mm-hmm. thing that makes it funny They'll because force it when i hear colonel sanders because it's in the first scene the, oh, the exactly. introduction the of Dark Helmet. Him. Yeah. They mm-hmm. inter- they introduce him and I'm waiting for it. And then I forget about it. And then they do the Colonel Sanders thing and I'm like, oh yeah. One of my other favorite moments is when they capture their stunt doubles. Oh my god. <laughs> when this Princess Vespa turns around. And it's partially because they just put some dude with this big old mustache in Vespas in a in a Vespa like wig and I the wedding wear dress. Mustache. Is it a Hitler? M- oh, it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. That is it is like pot shot at the Nazis that he tries to get into every one of his. Oh, movies. wow. Okay. That makes it even better. Like a cross-dressing uh, Hitler. But, but yeah, I love it. Like they, some of those people are looking pretty rough. <laughs> Yo. You've got this. And, and that's Tobolesky too. Cause he starts off with the whole like smarmy Imperial. Uh-huh. And then he's like, you capture. Oh, it's so, it's so funny. And I, it's also like no one breaks does a fourth wall meta joke like Mel Brooks. Mm-hmm um speaking of mel brooks uh when yogurt is introduced and is like oh it's yogurt the wise yogurt the all-powerful yogurt the this and he goes please please i'm just plain yogurt no oh it's it's good because it's so bad dad joke city baby yeah makes you roll your eyes uh another one that i don't know why i like it but it tickles me is when they first uh when when Lone Star and Dark Helmet first meet and they're squaring off, and he says, "This is why evil will always win because good is dumb." <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh God, it's really funny. And I I always forget that that movie. This is the movie because I I thought that that's um that's something that like Thumb Wars did or something. Watch I think they do, but they're biting off of space balls That's a solid huh. line. It is. It's so silly. Um, I love that whole sequence. Actually, maybe we can we can talk about that because there are so many things in that little sequence. Yeah, you want to talk about the? Because uh, I I'll, I'll start off. I really. This is something that I always. I I. This is a quote I like to use too. I'm your father's brother's nephew's <laughs> former roommate. Right. Because you're, you 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 want to as it's saying it's like okay father's brother uncle nephew cousin and then former roommate and it's like what's that make us absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It's it's so funny. Uh and that scene starts off with a thing that horrifies me. Uh and it's the shaving cream thing where the guy is shaving and, and Lone Star comes up, grabs a shaving cream can, covers his eyes, and the guy mm-hmm. screams because it's probably it probably stings. And sure. then he fills his mouth with it. And I'm no. like, ah no. Yeah, I hope that's with the cream. mouth. It always busts. It always kills me because, yeah, it's like, all right. Oh, one eye, two eye. It's like, would this even work? But then when it goes, he fills the <laughs> mouth completely full. Yeah. It's, it's super fucking funny. I feel bad for the actor. Yeah. And uh, here's another one that gets a lot of play in this house. Say goodbye to your two best friends. And I'm not. I don't mean the ones <laughs> in the Winnebago. <laughs> it's a funny line. It is. Oh, such a child. I do think there's a missed opportunity in this scene, though. When Dark Helmet, when they break the fourth wall, Dark Helmet takes a swing and ends up slashing one of the sound guys with his Schwartz. Another great uh, fourth wall break. It's it's a very good joke that could have been made funnier with the Wilhelm scream. Mm, But they did. They already used it when when, uh, John Candy takes the like tubes to redirect the blaster fire back there's a wilhelm screen. oh i missed that okay yeah yeah you don't but want to overuse it i agree yeah you gotta you gotta give uh, credit to ben burt where it's due mm-hmm. uh i love the joke because this is such a funny joke to do as a self insert that like the idea that president scrooge is packing because it's it's a it's a mel brooks right it's mel brooks making a joke that i've got a giant sh- I, my schwartz is huge Wait say that again I lost you Oh there's a scene where he's uh, He takes a video call when he's Pissing into a urinal Yes and she does the scrub salute which he has to do which uh-huh. le- Leaves his dick hanging out and she looks down and gives Us like oh he actually looks at us And gives us like appreciative smile Okay the joke being that Mel Brooks Has a massive penis And I just I don't know I think it's really funny That you write a line that your character Is just packing be like John Ham doing it when he's 70 years old. Uh, right, right. I had not put that together that this was a joke about the size of it. I thought she was just. This mm-hmm. is pointing out that she could see it. Uh, no, it seems like, well, I mean, yeah, seeing a dick, that's funny. But if you see like a. I don't I, know. I guess, I yeah, got, the reaction, like, nice like if penis, she would have snickered, nice right? Peter that would have been. Right, telling that been like he's small. Yeah. yeah, but she's. So that makes sense. Oh, I wanted to she's ask you about this. Um. Every time I hear the computer voice in this movie, I hear Major Barrett. Right. And this came out the same year that Next Generation premiered. Is that Major Barrett? It is not. Uh, I have to look it up because I I almost just took it for granted. In fact, I probably would have just. But like, I looked. I'm like, wait, this isn't because the Wikipedia is exhaustive. Like, it gives even uncredited people. And I'm like, I was looking for Major Barrett, Major Barrett, Major Barrett. It's not. It's actually some lady by the name of Julie Pitconan. Huh. But she sounds exactly like Major Barrett, and I thought yes. it was a missed. I, I wonder if she refused because it but sounded maybe. like a missed opportunity. Like I think having Major Barrett be Barrett be the voice of Spaceball One would be hilarious, hugely funny. But it's tough to know, right? With them being contemporaries. If right. that like was that something they couldn't like, get, or they it was just timing. It's yeah, it and like Paramount there. is doing Star Trek, and was this a Paramount production? I know they did the Paramount Mountain joke. Did you get that when they're sucking the air and they show the oh, snow being sucked? At. That's literally no. the Paramount logo right. that's being. I don't know if that was <laughs> a rivalry, but yeah, it might have been like a contractual thing. Mm-hmm. Should have done in '86 before Star Trek was being made. um yeah. Oh. I love the old the old joke the nose joke, the plastic the, surgeon. <laughs> it's a truly horrific old nose. Yeah, because that's the thing you cut. You're like expecting a schnoz, right? Uh huh. And this is like looks like the biggest witch nose has been broken in four places. It's crazy. It yeah. looks like a stock market trend line. <laughs> I can't... Like someone this. Because like I'm like, yeah, I always forget nose. how fucked up the nose is when they finally cut to it, and she just screams. Ew. It's just it's really funny. Yeah, that's great. Uh, how about. I guess I guess a lot of this uh, merchandising stuff tickles me just how often it shows up and the places it shows up. There's one particular cut um, that they do from the, the yogurt talking about the merchandising. They cut right to Scrooge having his threesome under a space the sheet in his yeah, bed like he's an eight-year-old which i think is hilarious and and here at the, 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 it's just all over the place but i find the frequent use of spaceballs the blank really yep. hilarious yeah me too um and then i also really like um the planet of the Apes spoof the okay. fact that like i i never you never really noticed that the mega maid kind of looks like um the statue of liberty uh-huh but when the you know her hand holding the vacuum sweeper handle and her head with the kind of the maid uniform tiara and it's all kind of like burned up through it looks just like the statue of liberty and those monkeys riding around it's like a space ball. oh there goes the, I, I i think that's that's a solid goof uh the plaid thing is a 2001 reference right I guess because of that trippy there was, sequence. There's the, 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 there an obvious 2001 reference where he says that the, the her um, the princess's spaceship is a 2001 Mercedes S.E.L sure that that was but they got what yeah. how is it a you're talking about just like the star child sequence yeah when yeah that whole sequence of him like just going through that trippy tunnel that yeah. felt like that's what they were aping there i think you might be right i do love how they like projected the plaid onto barf and lone star's face and like my god they've yeah. gone plaid that's I. i think my god they've gone plaid is it gets some play in this house too and what um, a wild term it's it strikes me as like the parsec right. thing, right? Like, yeah. is plaid a term for speed? Well, no, but in this context, they've mm-hmm. made it into that. It's it's just I don't know. There's something weirdly clever about that. Is it like yeah? Because like a lot of times, the faster you go in science fiction, the weirder and trippier it gets. Like when you're mm-hmm. slingshotting around the sun, right? And going back in time when you're uh, going into the monolith when Q's knocking you to the Delta Quadrant. So this is kind of like, yeah, like it, that's that's the cool way to go fast. Plaid? Mm-hmm. Oh now oh, you got you you've gone you've gone you've gone to the plaid dimension, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. Before we get out of here, I wanted to point out something that I found out just like minutes before this podcast. Uh when I was looking up the dinks, because I could have sworn the one of these dinks was Warwick Davis. Or maybe Kenny Baker might have been in that group, which I thought would have been mm. great. That would have that been amazing. Be nice. I don't think they are. But I found out that one of the voices, one of the people who did voices for the Dinks is Phil Hartman. I did see that Phil Hartman was a voice, but I didn't see who he was the voice of. He's one of the Dinks, huh? Apparently, yeah. They just hired him to say Dink a whole bunch, which <laughs> <laughs> I suppose he was a voice actor. It's just wild. Um... And then I have one fairly self-serving question for you oh? before we get out of here. Seeing as how we can count ourselves amongst the the esteemed group, the likes of Mel Brooks who have done Star Wars parodies at this point. Rude. Who do you think did the better opening crawl, Mel Brooks or us? I think our music was more Star Warsy. I agree, a hundred percent. I don't think this music is very Star Warsy at all. But it's not. You know, he's doing a. a it's kind as of we found. Right? It's not, honestly. It's hard to ape John Williams without j- being John Williams. Yes like and and honest john williams figures that out too because like there's a couple of his marches that come very close to being a couple of his marches so but but yeah if you if you lean too far into the star wars theme you just eventually just get the star wars theme (laughs) right i think we hit a good balance i don't think they did necessarily in this movie but i have to say Spaceballs is not just a star wars parody it's it's a genre movie fiction. parody, essentially. Yeah, because that's the that's John. That's his secret sauce is like because I haven't there's one I have. There's a couple that I haven't seen of his. and I really want to like High Anxiety. Hmm. Um, But like he so everyone has got like the cornerstone spoof, like Robin Hood Men in Tights is Robin Hood. Yep. But also does a lot of stuff that's kind of medieval fantasy mm-hmm. stuff with witches. Also, there's also just contemporaneous pop culture influences and things like that you always have the thing it's making fun of, but like this is it's star Wars. Sure. But it's also every science fiction. They're going to make fun of star Trek and Scotty and beaming. And it's also aliens are going to get John hurt to literally have an chest chestburster bust out to do a, a Michigan J frog fucking joke. Um, And, And that's, that's one of the things that I think I admire most about Mel Brooks and his movie making is he seems to have his finger on the pulse of, of the the filmmaking culture at the time whenever he's making his movie it's it's almost uncanny because this is a 60 year old man but Mel brooks is born in 1920 something mm-hmm. he's like 60 when he's making this movie to be that mm-hmm. clued in to the pop culture of the time at 60 i don't think i'll be there shit i'm not there yeah. now i'm 41 <laughs> like yeah i He's able to pull all this together and maybe he has some excellent people around him who help with the the crafting of this stuff. I know probably. he does, but also for him to recognize what is funny about that and and lean into when maybe people who are more knowledgeable about it tell him this is funny and go with it. That deference yeah. um, that he probably has to have at that age. I think that's just he he's a class act in that way. Yeah, I do think that, you know, you just keep on hearing about how kind and empathetic he is. And I think that that is something that will keep your film from aging, you know, like uh, Animal House and uh, Meatballs and some of that stuff still has some funny things into it, but also has some really horrific things. Because a lot of the humor is coming from like a very mean spirited place Yeah, where, you know, like it seems like Mel Brooks was intuited that the, the, he's the master of punching up and and not punching down even before those kind of terms became like widely used in the cultural milieu. But yeah. And it doesn't seem and like also he's like, an edgelord, right? He's not trying to make the raciest or crassest joke he can. Sometimes I they're racy, but not that racy. if there's something to me kind of falling out of love with Mel Brooks from like my middle 20s to middle 30s, like at the time where you're kind of like max um other than to be a teenager but you're you're inescapably in the cringe zone when you're a teenager no matter what you do mm-hmm. but like you're most concerned with being cool yeah. in the area of life where you just become an adult to like when you start having kids and your life becomes just being covered in piss and shit and puke and uh like like is there like because i don't think that mel brooks is cool his movies aren't cool no is. Like like the closest to cool movie maybe is Blazing Saddles because that was really hitting like some 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 some, some uh, cultural hot points and some uncomfortable moments and that felt like kind of like avant-garde maybe but like Mel Brooks I don't think you could say he's cool. He's very funny, but he's not as uncool um, as he should be, I think. It, that's what that, impresses me. He's rarely cringe there. Yeah. Then again, like I said, I, I, I got to see Dracula dead and loving again, because I remember watching that as like, I think, a 20 year old and being like, Jesus Christ. no, well, <laughs> you shoulda, should have should have just let this one pass you by. But maybe I was because I was in the uh, anti cringe zone. Yeah, the anti I had to be very cool and, and dead and loving. It wasn't cool. And also, I hadn't it- seen any of the reference material, too maybe there's something to me being five at the time that this movie came out and that Roger helps. It, well, yeah, totally. But Roger Ebert might have had his finger more on what was cool at the time than mm. a five-year-old or a 60 year old to be able to say, yeah, this movie you know, we're kind of, we've had enough of Star Wars. I hadn't we're had old, enough. I was just, five years old, dated. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but this was made ten years after the original Star Wars. It does feel like you could have made this movie in 1978. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Maybe not in it, because you wouldn't have Yoda to rip on, but... So maybe it was just a 1981? little past its prime. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You wouldn't have had Yoda, but... Yeah, there so. wasn't any, like, Return of the Jedi goofs to make it feel current like if i Mm -hmm. guess the the latest because like what are the latest movies they're riffing on um it's empire Empire strikes back 1980 81 um uh uh, aliens was like like what 78 79 (laughs) Um, like yeah i guess yeah they weren't 2001 is 70s uh Yep. A lot of the humor was kind of like reaching a lot further back in the past. But that's also because like there was like there's a kind of a dead sci-fi era, too, where you weren't getting a lot of you might get some like dystopian stuff like uh, Terminator or whatnot. But like there's no like back well to the future. It. Right. Eighty five even. There's no. Yeah. Like back well, to the future was high, enormous. This high science fiction fantasy had gone the way of the devil. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. You know, we were, I guess, going into the era of Star Trek, the next generation. But. You know you weren't getting these big space offers anymore mm-hmm. whereas there was a period where you know Star Wars and Buck Rogers and Battlestar and David Lynch's dune and uh they were just like cranking them out, cranking these big space offers out, yeah. Well, that's going to do it for our coverage of uh, Spaceballs. Uh, Joe and Philly, thank you so much for your generous uh, support of Bald Move by commissioning this podcast, uh, and you gave us a real fun one. I was—I always worry with comedies, like, what are we going to have to say? Mm-hmm. But you know, this is uh, Mel Brooks's just, just, to, just a talking about the Mel Brooks and the intersection of Star Wars. Uh, I'm trying to say, good choice. This was this this was a nice nice thing to sit down and do as an assignment. Uh, I enjoyed really appreciate it. it, start to finish. And yeah, especially you. It's like, I mean, uh, I sat down and watched this with my son when he was like seven or eight. So it's like not that far in a rear view mirror. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's going to hold up. But uh, yeah, if it's been 20 years since you've seen it, what a mm-hmm. treat. Uh, so thank you, Joe. And if you're wondering out in the audience, gee whiz, how do I get Aaron and Jim to talk about my favorite film? Well, let me tell you, it's a commission podcast. If you go to support.baldmove.com and click the link labeled commission podcast, uh, it'll take you, you plunk down your money, you tell us what you uh, what uh, two ish hours of what you want us to watch, and we will grind that through the podcast machine and make you a podcast. Uh, details at support.baldmove.com. Thanks again to Joe for commissioning this one, uh, and we will see you on the next pulp thing. Until that time, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. Later.